to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chung. Hey everyone, on this episode, I visited Shohei Katayama's studio in Pittsburgh. Shohei received his BA in studio art from Bellarmine University in 2010 and is currently working towards his Master's of Fine Arts at Carnegie Mellon University. His work includes line drawings, sculpture, and conceptual installation art. Shohei writes that the Great East Earthquake and subsequent Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant leak and meltdown led to a major turning point in his artistic practice. His work began to examine anthropogenic impacts on the environment, including issues related to sustainability, pollution, and natural disasters. Shohei wants his work to point us towards and insert us in a world where there is still hope and activate a future where there are still dreams. Although I graduated before Shohei began his MFA, our times did overlap as I stayed a year to teach in Pittsburgh. It has been wonderful to follow how Shohei has developed as an artist, and I was excited to chat with him as he neared the end of his program. At the time of our interview, Shohei just got back from the Arctic Circle, which we talk about at length. More recently, that particular work Shohei created from that residency won the MTV Read the Fine Art Award, which came with a cash prize and solo exhibition in Dallas. I'm looking forward to seeing where Shohei goes to next with his art. In any case, I hope you enjoy this. So like when Mary Curie discovered radium, it was like God particle. I'm recording. Oh, are you? Yeah. Uh, well, it's like a, it's like she called it like my beautiful radium because it has so much potential for energy. So she was saying how it's like uh, pretty much some kind of uh, material that we can use to continue for like energy efficiency. And, is Mary Curry? Yeah. When was she around? Like in nineteen early 1900s. Okay. So it's before World War II and stuff. Okay. All right. And so there was this thing called like the Radium Girls, which uh-huh. were like poorly paid women that were in factories making these radium watches. Okay. All right. So radium watches uses radium and phosphorescent pigment. I think it was zinc sulfide. Uh-huh. That pretty much gives you like eternity. You can see your watch like even in the dark okay. without charging it. So they didn't, they thought like radium was more like this cure all radioisotope that can cure cancer, uh-huh. that can make you youthful. Yeah. But in reality, it just causes tumors. and It's radioactive, right? Right. Okay. So you get tumors, your mandible falls off, your Shit. nose eventually shrinks in, you get giant tumors on your forehead. Oh my God. Right. So there are all these like health issues that took place. The factory got shut down. Yeah. So many people died. And they were saying that it was, they were making an excuse. Like when I say they, the CEO of the company was saying that it was just syphilis. And so they dug up the graves to prove that it was radium, right? And the bodies were still glowing. Shit. When did they dig them up? Uh, like I think I read an article that said it was five years after they were wow. buried. So that's where I think like the kind of like this trope of radioactive iso- like objects kind of emit this light, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of looking into the history for a while. And that's when I was thinking about nuclear waste de- uh, deposit sites, like um, like the Cold War, Russians dumping it in the Arctic, and of course, like the pilot plant over in New Mexico. What's the pilot plan? It's pretty much like it's one of hundreds of nuclear deposit sites in New Mexico. And they're trying to find a way to deliver a message to people in the future without using language to say that the area is hazardous. Wow. So what they're doing, I think, in the 70s, 80s, and even the 90s was trying to find this like Jungian method of using symbols and different kind of sculptures or architecture to deter people away, right? Yeah. So one of them was like this granite thorn uh-huh. sculpture was a skull. But all these are symbols that are all based on the context of 
today. Yeah. For example, pirates back in the day used like skulls. Yeah. But today, like elementary school kids have backpacks with skulls on it, right? Yeah. So, so that's from a very European symbolism, though, right? Right. Right. That is very true. I think I don't know. I, do, I, what, I don't know if there's a symbol for pirates. I mean, it's like memento mori shit, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Skulls are kind of universally, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. I do, but. I mean, in terms of death, right. I mean, like for pirates, right. I don't know enough. I don't about, know anything like, about pirate history. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know if the Somalian pirates have, I think, I don't know. They must have a flag. But it does evoke death, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah whatever yeah. the case is. Yeah. Some of them were like facial expressions, like uh-huh. doing this like Ugh, ugly face and oh. expecting people to understand that it's going to make you sick. And the most recent idea for it i think is i think it was these two french philosophers that made up the idea of uh the ray cats yeah i heard about that making making the cats radioactive and so the cats are glowing or something it indicates bioengineer cats to be like receptors of radioactivity did that ever work out or no i don't think i think it's just an idea Uh, i think that was on like 99 percent invisible or something oh that's interesting Yeah. yeah but it's like I think the deadline is 2030. Why is there a deadline? Because there's a limit to how much that waste of waste disposal site can hold. Mm. Right? There's a we're constantly using yeah. nuclear waste. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like a reverse of the golden records. Right. Right that NASA sent out. Yeah. But millions of years is such a long time to think about. It's so geological. Yeah, that, yeah, geological time versus human time. Right. And Honestly, like modern civilization only developed like 200 years ago from yeah. like Industrial Revolution, and everything's been more and humans exponential. Humans only been around for 3,000, right? It's At like least a, modern history as we know it, with records and everything, right? I mean, if the Earth, if the Earth was like a day, we probably been only around for like a millisecond. Right? Yeah, I know. It's yeah. scary to think about. It kind of blows my mind away. Yeah. Um, all right, so I'm here with Shohei Katayama in his studio. And it's pretty sparse. Got a bunch of sculptures and fake plants. Are there any real plants here? Yeah, All up right. in my loft area. Have a three D scan of his brain that was three D printed, which I think is. We were just talking about how interesting that is to have a part of your body that's inside, and then having, in a sense, a mold being cast and then being represented versus some sort of symbolic rendering of an interior of your body Mm -hmm. um i guess why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself your background where you're from (laughs) that's a lot where where are you really from right (laughs) who are you what (laughs) what are you yeah what are you right yeah so i was born in connecticut and uh where in connecticut uh, danbury connecticut and about eight months into living in the States, I moved back to Japan in the Sitagayaki region. And I lived in Japan until third grade, came back to the States briefly for about like six months, lived in Bethel, Connecticut, and then came and went back to Japan. So I moved like quite a bit of times. Yeah. And then... Uh, Why were you moving so much? Oh, just like uh, parents. Well, what do your parents do? So my dad is a chemical engineer. Okay. More as a consultant now, uh-huh. I guess. And my mom just, yeah, she used to be an accountant, but you know, she used to be an opera singer, but the one really? to accounting. So, yeah, it was like music. My dad used to be an artist. He went to Cooper. Really? Yeah, for his master's. I didn't know this. But so then what he dropped do? out and went to architecture <laughs> and then dropped out again and then went to chemical engineering. And he has a, he's a, Master's, PhD, chemical engineering. Master's in Master's. chemical engineering, right. And your mom was an opera singer? Well, she used to do a lot of opera singing. Wow. Um, like like, getting like working yeah, professionally. Right. Wow. And then she didn't graduate college, but she was working at a bank for a while. Yeah. That's awesome. So then after you went back to Connecticut, you went back to Japan? Right. Until when? Uh, 14. And then from there? <laughs> I went to Kentucky. Uh, okay. Louisville, Kentucky. All right. All right. That's, that's the right way to say it. Louisville. 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 Lou, Lou. Yeah. Louisville, Louisville, Look Louisville, at us, two Asians Louisville. trying to pronounce Louisville. Yeah. Or I'm trying, you you know how to pronounce it. Right. 
Yep. And then, um, yeah, I lived in Kentucky for 14 years. And uh-huh. Now I'm here in Pittsburgh. So how did you get into arts? Yeah, I was originally going to be a math and psychology major. Okay. And um, in undergrad, you you were right. that okay. And I had my first like philosophy course. Yeah, and yeah. It kind of really like framed the world in a really different filter. In a good or bad way? Probably both. Okay. Right? I think it was good because I found something that I really cared about. Okay. Which was maybe more like self awareness or mm-hmm. trying to find out exactly how my identity is created yeah and i thought art was more like at least the process that i was kind of practicing at the time was stone carving okay and much of it my (laughs) my professor in stone carving was more of a like a modern sculptor so he'll be like try to carve your identity out of the stone or try to find it (laughs) you know there was like more was he he white he's totally white yeah yeah but he's yeah, you know, he always just said, like, try to use art for activism. And, yeah. Yeah. But the philosophy course really, like, kind of shifted the way that I see things. And yeah. I just dropped my two majors and my junior year and just took art courses. How did you, though, decide that art was the way to tackle it? Or you were just sort of I just took electives. it as an elective. Okay, right? I see, I see. Mm-hmm. And then I took ceramics and kind of got obsessed with it. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a spiral, right? Yeah, there's something about mesmerizing, yeah. you know, kind of fall into it. Yeah, yeah. And then I did, um, after graduating from the university, I went to the local university, which is University of Louisville. Uh-huh. It's a different university that I was previously, and I did glass blowing for about a year. Yeah, under Shea Roads. Your parents were supportive because they, they both had a background in arts, right? Or no? Yeah, I mean, they were... You gave, me a funny, <laughs> you gave me a funny look like, nah, yeah. the I Asian-ness mean, in them. Right. Uh, it's like the kind of the stereotype. They're like, be a doctor or something. But I think my dad was kind of excited that I decided to take this route. He's um, like living vicariously through you. Yeah, I guess so. But yeah, I think this whole identity thing for me was figuring a bunch of stuff out. Uh-huh. What happened to me in high school? Yeah. <laughs> what happened to you in high school? No, it's just like I couldn't really speak English when I came to the States. When you were 14. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just like hormones are just like racing through your body. Did, you hate, and, did um, you hate Kentucky because of that? I wouldn't say I hated the place. I just hated myself, mm. maybe. You know, it's the whole self-loathing. Yeah. You feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. You feel less than human. You get treated less than human mm-hmm. you get looked down at people had to speak slowly as if you're deaf or yeah i only asked why um, no, no, i only asked that question if you hated the place because i also moved from new york to new hampshire in eighth grade i'm like is that 14 15 yeah uh 13 14 mm-hmm. and i remember hating the place but i didn't maybe i was also too unself-aware to think about hating myself um and i instead blamed the place more than myself but i mean there are different types of i guess self-loathing self-loathing for maybe i was really ashamed how i couldn't adapt to an environment quickly enough and maybe it made me feel more insecure yeah yeah so the only way i can like express myself of course was just like doodling yeah or playing the piano yeah did you Um, is that how you overcompensated yeah it was meditative yeah but i took like esl for quite a bit and developed like a vocabulary um did you meet a lot of other esl students or were you was it i was like one of three Japanese students. That's interesting. Three were, Japanese people. Yeah. Like, that includes, like, a teacher. <laughs> oh, this was ESL, not in the school. Oh, I'm talking about in the school. Oh, the whole oh, school. Okay. Yeah. There were, but it was specifically Japanese foreign students. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. And then just looking back at those moments and then coming to Pittsburgh and even here, I kind of feel like. I don't know. I've lived in Japan half of my life, lived here for a little over half of my life now. Yeah. So it's about equal. Right. But at the same time, when I live in the States, 
or when I live in Japan, I don't really feel like I have a home or in like, either place. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. yeah. I'm too American, apparently, when I go to yeah. Japan. And when I'm here, I'm American, but still very Japanese, apparently. Yeah. Um, yeah. When well, I was on like, my residency yeah. um, over the summer, some person from Texas was like, you're not Japanese at all. But like a week later, oh my she's like, you're the most Japanese person I've met. Is she white too? Yeah, yeah, very white. I mean, even sometimes I'm like, I feel like I'm exaggerating features of what American is or exaggerating yeah. features of what Japanese is, yeah. especially in the context of being in Japan, right? Um, I mean, the mannerism is really different between the two So countries. when you're in America, you exaggerate the Japanese? Or the the American, American okay, side okay. more. Um, kind of acting as maybe like the fool <laughs> and kind of being a little bit more assertive. In America. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And maybe that kind of leaks out when I'm in Japan as well. Um, I'm a little bit goofy, but I try to be quiet and kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Just listening. Yeah. More than anything. Yeah. I don't really have any Japanese peers here either. Um, so yeah. it's kind of difficult to keep up with the language. And I feel like there's a slow, I don't want to say like deterioration of the Japanese identity, but I will say like yours or just mine, in general. mine okay. um, more of a mutation. Yeah. Right? Well, I think people, I think I've heard before that socially people who are like, say ex American, but it could be like ex British, ex whatever. If you're like, uh, what was it first generation? Um, immigrant or son or daughter of a first generation immigrant that you have more in common with other other children of immigrants mm -hmm. uh than you do of either country that you your parents are from or you're currently living in because you're you have at least a shared experience of being sort of othered in a very unique way of not being fully one or the other right you know yeah i mean when i when I speak English today, a lot of people think I'm just like straight up American. I mean, um, you. I mean, you don't really have an accent. Yeah, I practice a lot. <laughs> I mean, I think recently I've been noticing like some of my accents sort of re showing up. Like I, um, I sometimes pronounce like an sh sound for what is like an s sound. Like instead of social, I'll say like social, and small things like that and it's mm -hmm. like even though i was born here yeah like all those tiny little things that we pick up from our parents right um it's really hard to fully erase yeah i still do the whole uh instead of saying button i'll say button huh. right like yeah. make the two t's into a d yeah, yeah 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 but i don't really mix up the l's and the r's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the one thing yeah yeah but yeah so a lot of people assume that i'm just like fully born raised in america yeah and i don't know that might take i feel like a lot of people assume you know and are judgmental are critical because like who's judging you and why are they why are they being critical that you're too american that japanese people think you're too american or it may be both ways yeah. really um so I'm kind of going through a mild existential crisis. Right now? <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, no, in general. Like, I've been going through one for maybe, like, maybe since school started. Really? Yeah, so is it, like why, it. why, it's funny that you're having that here than and not in Kentucky. Right. But people in Kentucky were nice. I didn't really receive racism. Like, that, I mean, like, a uh, recent incident mm. was probably the most explicit. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I think people say oftentimes... That this in the South, people are more clearly racist, so you know where people stand. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, I don't know where Kentucky stands in, in front of that. I think Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky as a whole is probably racist, but Louisville, the small city, okay. right? Because the the stereotype is in, in contrast to that in the North, people are racist, but they don't want to either admit it or say it out loud. So it kind of reveals itself in a more subtle way. Yeah, so I get the whole like, oh, you're just from the South kind of thing yeah. too. Um, like as if I don't know any better or... In here, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I get that a lot. Um, yeah, you're just a oh, poor Asian guy who was born in the South. So they see you as like a Southern man? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
or maybe I even have a slight Southern accent. I can't really tell, but no. It's hard to tell. I mean, you were born in Japan and... A lot of people think I'm from the West, but... Yeah, because yeah. of the way you talk slow. Right. Yeah. And you're a bodybuilder. <laughs> Not at all. No, I mean, these are just, pragmatic reasons. Why yeah, what, what's the pragmatic about? reason? Well, <laughs> I didn't have health insurance for a long time, so uh-huh. maintaining your health. Yeah. I used to do marble sculptures, so it was easy to carry stuff without mm. asking for help, yeah. which saves you time yeah. and without having to pay people. Yeah. I don't know. Just in general, like I always viewed my body as more like a, a very complicated robot too, like, that you had to constantly like maintenance. And, yeah. yeah, you just have to use it as a tool if you want to you know, achieve any kind of goal, right? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you use your body as a tool mm. uh, in your work. I think it's really interesting the way that you approach using your body in a performative way, both as a performance but also as a means to create an impression or residue from your body. So wondering if you could talk about that. I mean, and more specifically, I remember the very first project that you were interested in doing when you got here was you drinking this red dye <laughs> and basically oversaturating your sweat with this red dye to the point where when you're sweating, you're bleeding in a sense or like sweating a red color, which makes it look like you're sweating blood. Right. And uh, to me, that heart. to yeah. me, that's like crazy performative. Like, I don't think I've even done anything that that extreme, you know, to change the internal workings of my own body, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I know that project didn't work out because it started getting dangerous. Yeah. You said, but I mean, like, that's, you know, to me, that's um, performance. Maybe you see it otherwise. Yeah, it was more like a tool to get the sweat out onto like rice paper and let the salt crystallize. You were, were going to like do some push-ups, right? Right. And then just have like this uh, like ink block test kind of aesthetic too. Yeah, right? yeah. But yeah, I guess I could have recorded it and it would have been like more of a performance, documented performance. But yeah, I mean, that was more just, <laughs> I was thinking more about systems. Mm-hmm. It's a very broad concept, so that's kind of like my one of my more uh, things that I like to be researching. Yeah. So systems within ecology, systems within the body, systems about like neurosystems, and like information, yeah, right, yeah. data, and how certain smaller elements or implicitly microstructures yeah. affect macrostructures, right? Yeah, right, and oftentimes there are one's more hidden than the other and kind of revealing those moments you know that's kind of what i like to do yeah and hopefully it evokes some kind of (laughs) at the time when i moved to pittsburgh i was thinking about the water condition and recently i heard about the 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 lead the lead poisoning right since they changed i forget what it was some kind of compound to soda ash Mm -hmm. which led to more corrosion in the pipes that leach out lead so I was thinking about what I'm absorbing through the tap water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was some, trying to make my sweat, or just thinking about contamination in general and kind of poisoning my body and letting yeah. it sweat out. But And you ultimately stop because... Oh, it's way too cancerous and or it's a carcinogen. So, But you knew that before or you didn't? Or I'm confused. I knew a little bit about it. Okay. But th- there's like no like research that's explicitly suggests to that consume it is, but that it much. is like recommended not to. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. So that was kind of something was, yeah, that's what it was. And then how, um, this is, um, me sort of going through your website, but you were talking about how the Fukushima nuclear power plant event with the tsunami and the meltdown sort of affected, profoundly affected how you make your work. What kind of work were you doing before then? Um, or do you think do you think that moment is sort of when you became an artist? You know, like sometimes artists have an exact moment when they're like, "That's the first spark." Spark, kind of, right? It could have been like a catalyst, maybe, yeah. to kind of go towards that direction. I mean, it was like I graduated from school, and um, I was the only sibling in the states at the time, and the incident took place. Oh, your parents were back in Japan. Yeah. And um, 
I felt pretty helpless, especially without the Japanese community, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of like reflect or use them as like a siphon or right. Right. Um, Other than like a New York Times or Wall Street Journal article. Right. Right. Or Facebook posts. And of course, everybody's just like, are you okay? Is yeah. your family all right? And that's nice and all, but I felt pretty helpless as a Japanese. Somebody who identified as Japanese to be an American yeah. can't really do anything yeah. to even like either even spread awareness or whatever. So, yeah, my main concern became more about the environment yeah. as a whole, systems as a whole. And seeing the traces of like Fukushima radioisotopes going around the world. Apparently, you can buy like California uh, Cabernet today and it'll have the cesium, I guess, really? the radioisotope. Wow. In the wine. <laughs> but the half life, I think, is only like two and a half years. So it's not dangerous. It's just present. The, re- the residue. Of yeah. Mm. Which are traces of humanity in some ways, right? Right, right, right. And during this time, you also had a gallery in, in Kentucky, right? Right. And what was that? How, how did that come about? <laughs> it was pretty spontaneous. Yeah. You know, an area was getting gentrified. People were getting kicked out of apartments. Yeah. It was um, just an area, yeah, to kind of close in the gap between, like, people that go into white cube galleries and underground artists. And so your gallery was for underground artists. Yeah, but it, people... You know, it'll go into the newsletter or like the newspapers yeah, yeah. and people still come. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. And you were the main lead in that project. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> it was where I lived. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh it was both a live, it was a live work studio right. space. The basement gallery was, um, yeah, the basement was a gallery okay. and I lived on the second floor. So. And what was that like? It was nice, you know, yeah. like reaching out to national artists and be like, hey, do you want to show here? Local I've artists. Never, I've never and, done that. What's that like? Oh, it's just, you know, you just do it because you want to see if you if you can spread, like, different kind of art around the city. Yeah. So, I mean, you just ask them if they want to come. And you got a lot, you got funding for them to, you know, right. ship, the, ship the artwork and... Well, guess, they're usually just, like, fabricated, like, the pieces. There? Yeah. You had all the equipment? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's, like, um, about six blocks away was GE's microplant. It's called First Build, where artists and anybody makers can utilize really? like all these facilities for free. For free? For free. Why? I mean, they're just like trying to find creatives that are working on projects and want to support that. But they also you have the opportunity to submit ideas, and you, G may like exploit it and you know sell it, and then you get ten percent of whatever. Yeah, it was like a weird. Maker. Is it still happening? Yeah, First Build's still happening. One B. And then what made you decide to go to grad school? Just wanted to see how everybody else like perceives the world, you know? I just wanted to expand like my perception. Did because you think I, you think you, you think you reached like a sort of glass ceiling? Well, in Louisville, Kentucky, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just more like I mean, I, I was never really I'm not an academic at all. Oh, you come know, I'm on. Just more, look, I'm just, look at all I've seen all your books. You just you have this uh, like book on your table called speculative taxidermy <laughs> my work's more at least my practice is more intuitive i'm more like a sponge you're a sponge <laughs> yeah that i just like to filter things and yeah it'll just come out the way i look i don't know I, I just think it's funny that i'm not i mean i'm just i'm just giving you a hard time i think it's funny that you say you're not non-academic but you want to do like the cern residency and like that's as academic as you can get for an artist. I guess so, <laughs> but it's so fascinating. No, really. yeah. yeah, I I'm, I I I would be so excited if you got that. No, I mean I definitely won't. But <laughs> yeah, it's just um, no. I just like to learn more about people. Yeah, you know, and that's really what art was for me. It was like yeah. a language between like myself and the other or if there even is an other which i don't really think there is uh, other in this case you mean what anyone not yourself right we're all the same i think well Um, biologically right i mean we're always like misunderstood and i feel like that's like a good starting point to understand that we're all misunderstood and constantly being judged yeah so the best thing we can do is not misunderstand people and not judge people, right? So what did you learn? What have you learned in expanding your worldview 
having, you know, gone an MFA or yeah. about to get an MFA because uh, you're almost done. I think that takes a lot of time to process. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think it was like the, again, like going back to the high school thing, but like language barriers and using art as a way to express yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's it really. Yeah. I just wanted to really see how other people. I mean, you were pretty world, intuitive. So, yeah. I mean, you know, I think about, you know, you did that wonderful piece at the children's museum, which was a cloud piece. A nimbus drum. A, is, is, you call it a nimbus drum? <laughs> right. And the children's museum in Pittsburgh has this wonderful residency where artists can apply it's called the Tough Art Residency, and um, you know you make work meant for, I guess everyone, but the main audience are kids, and so you have to sort of prototype works that can withstand, I guess, the destruction of kids with no no sense of um, self control. <laughs> yes, self control is one way to put it. Mm-hmm. Space, self control, you know, or in a, in a sort of wonderful way, none of the attachments that museums or social social norms that museums create to not touch things right right and i think your piece if i remember was basically it made a bunch of sounds when people when the kids interacted with it right right it picks up on the vibrations of these metal beats that are kind of autonomous yeah Uh, there's like a magnet that shifts them and certain designs in a very slow manner and uh, there's contact mics that pick up on the vibrations that get amplified through a speaker, which triggers a sound sensor. To which make is these... your voice just making funny sounds, right? <laughs> it's just your voice, right? Isn't it? No, it's not. What was? Maybe I'm just thinking of your Instagram where you just like. Oh, yeah. No, that, that was like me that... prototyping the cloud. Okay, right? yeah, Sound yeah. censored cloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But that, in that case, it was just the metal beads shifting. Mm which kind of sounds like insects crunching through wood or when you go to BBC, you have these like micro sounds. Yeah. Yeah. But the peanut, there's like a pedestal that's like a peanut shape, which I was kind of thinking more like Petri dishes. Okay. So you're like the observer looking at these small metal beads Mm -hmm. forming together. Right. Interacting. Exactly. And kind of like the, scientific inquiry observation labeling you know there's like different elements but the main yeah. thing i wanted to suggest was like maybe like the butterfly effect how yeah. small something so small can cause the right. environment to shift right? right yeah something that just sort of a thought that came to me was the idea I, I i'm just gonna bounce this off you but i can say that for myself part of my use of using my body and also using storytelling is I mean, as I'm sort of saying this aloud, I'm realizing that they're just different strategies, but I use my body and storytelling as a means to highlight this idea of otherness. And I wonder if you worry that in talking about it through a scientific way that you're in a sense erasing your otherness because it's so scientific that it's, I guess, in a, in a good way, universal, um, in a bad way, you're maybe not there. Maybe you are there because, um, I mean, you made it, so you can't ever get away from that. But <laughs> I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. I think it's pros and cons, right? Yeah. So it's whatever, um, whatever dichotomy there is. It's always like the middle, right? Yeah. Trying to obtain the middle is like the ideal. So have some science and have less too. I don't know. Say that one time. Find the middle path is like my idea pretty much. Yeah. Right? Um, Do you think you've reached a middle path? No, but it's like (laughs) probably an eternal struggle. Yeah. What do you think is a piece that is one extreme and what's a piece that's another extreme? I mean, I feel like every piece has that, right? right. Like any piece has like some kind of balance. I mean, I I just use very formal material choices for Mm -hmm. like to kind of evoke those things. Yeah. Draw on a black panel using white sharpies right? and then the white eventually merges with the acrylic with the enamel causing it to turn gray Mm. or it dies you see these like the world is more gray than it is white or black right yeah 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 Yeah. i mean it's very simple gestures Uh, i'm hoping i can evoke those 
maybe philosophical principles like to people. Yeah. And then you just got back from a residency in the Arctic Circle, right? Right. How was that? I was uh, still trying to process. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Again, yeah, it, it takes me a long time to kind of reflect back, but it was amazing. Yeah, I had a great time. What was it? What was the experience like? What did you do? So my original idea or proposal that I submitted was that I was going to look for microplastic by getting water samples. What are microplastics? Microplastics are plastics that break down over a period of time. They're just swarming in our waters now. Like even tap water has microplastics. How are you going to find it? We're just going to take samples? Exactly, just from the ocean. (laughs) Oh, and then just look at it underneath the microscope? Right, or ask some kind of research facility to analyze it. Okay. Right. And another one was to see if the Fukushima radioisotope has reached the Arctic. Mm. Right. If it reached California, you know, and if it's in the wine, I'm not surprised if there are some. So I got a little bit of uh, water samples from there, too. We haven't analyzed it yet. Right. And different... And they're all sampled with different coordinates, so okay. you know exactly what location the water source is. Okay. So you can see the oceanic currents and right. kind of estimate how it got there. And another, yeah, but it ended up being more of, <laughs> I couldn't really think about work just because I was so absorbed by the sublime. Yeah. And you're trying to make meaning out of something that may not even have meaning mm-hmm. or... Yeah, and also being shoved into a small boat with, you know, 20 other people is kind of stressful. And they're all artists? Yes, and uh, they're most of, I think, yeah, from the Anglosphere, most of them were. From uh, the what? Anglosphere. Anglosphere, you mean white? <laughs> yeah. You mean white? White. <laughs> but yeah, Australians, um, a lot of people from the UK, people from Hong Kong, but they're Aussie. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's something I noticed too when I go on residencies is usually I'm the only person of color there. Yeah. I mean, there are people of color here, but yeah, it's, um, I mean, one was from Peru. Yeah. But I mean, if you consider the amount of people that participated in the residency, yeah, yeah, yeah. statistically it's pretty uh, sad. Yeah. Yeah. But it also made me understand, you know, just kind of showed how privileged maybe I was to yeah, go on yeah. to that too. I mean, art. Art is a privileged activity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Showed my privilege. It made me, I feel like it made me more humble. Uh-huh. <laughs> I feel like I experience like ego death every time I encounter something that's like really extraordinary. So I kind of get quiet for a long In time. In this case, it's the, the sublime of the Arctic. Right. Yeah. Whether it was the midnight sun mm. or the mountain ranges that are, I mean, the elevation, the smell. Yeah. Like, how dry, how the flowers take 10 years to grow into like one petal. Really? Yeah. Just, wow. Or the tundra and the hexagon shapes, the golden ratio is like evident and ubiquitous. Mm. I don't know. There's something, the word I'm thinking is like maybe sacred mm-hmm. <laughs> and how now it's, the peninsulas are all covered in plastic and thinking about how much jet fuel it took to even get to the Arctic, my complicit nature, right? Um, yeah. All the fuel for the boat. Right. And yeah. the people working on the boat who are Germans, mostly Germans. Really? But they're getting paid. They're getting paid less than, I forget what the actual number was. It's like really... Like less than minimum wage? Yeah, well... So the residency worked by like this program paying half of it uh-huh. right and you're, but i remember it's still like cost like five six thousand yeah it was still six thousand right which i but i've these, never i mean i've heard about i've seen this residency a lot but i've never went because of that cost mm-hmm. yeah thankfully the grants and collectors help yeah out, yeah so while you're that. in school you can find it or i right. guess if you're um, you know you got, got a rich partner or are in academia right. and have have the means to pay for it over the summer so most of the people were like, um, you know, head of certain departments and art programs yeah. or art directors, yeah, yeah, people that work in public sculpture and a lot of photographers, of course. A lot of what? Photographers. Okay. And yeah. And the rest were like scientists and hybrid scientists. Artists, hybrid scientists. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, I mean, you know, it's like camp. 
yeah. at first, like the first week, you kind of hate each other and you're like making fun of each other. What do you mean by hate? <laughs> well, you don't really hate, but you're like assuming, judging a lot. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then throughout the uh, expedition, we all had like 20 minute presentations of our work. And um, of course, once we understood each other more, yeah. you know, we all love each other. And by the end of the expedition, we're all like, we'll never forget you with tears. <laughs> it's like, you know, it was like camp. right? Yeah, yeah. You know? But I got to see a lot. And um, yeah, I really appreciated the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's my favorite thing about residencies is it is basically camp. You're like forced. It's like a, it's like really intense micro grad school experience. But maybe even more so because you're actually living, usually living together in a very close proximity. Whereas in grad school, you if you choose to, you can just sort of see people like once right. a week if you really wanted to or yeah. even less. Well, especially in this scenario, is like yeah, a you're boat on you're on a boat in the middle of the ocean. You can't go outside and like. Did you get alone. seasick? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah there was got- this one point where um, I think when we were trying to go towards the North Pole, the vessel was constantly at a forty-five degree angle. Why? Because of like the extreme wind, and we we're just getting pushed and shoved. Oh, geez. So we had to place these wooden boards by our beds so that we wouldn't fall off. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we wedged it between like the mattress and the frame. So you're just like pretty much not cradled. You're just like, (laughs) you're pretty much like a sculpture without any filling in a crate, just Mm -hmm. like banging like the sides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely didn't get any sleep. At all? No, not too much, too much art and partying and observing. It was less art too. That's the funny thing, right? Less art? On the residency. Like making. All right, it was just more observing, absorbing, yeah, sharing, collaborating, talking, laughing, drinking, arm wrestling, partying. Arm wrestling. <laughs> we had a tournament. Yes. Did you win? Beat all the sailors. You beat all the sailors? <laughs> really? Jeez. Yeah. Check out the video. No. Well, there's a video? Yeah, there's a video. Oh, you got to send me that link. I'll post it. Okay. Um <laughs> No, I mean, I, I, it's funny. You're right. Like, I don't make, you know, I mean, this is maybe the privileged part of art residencies and art in general, but I see these residencies as a means to sometimes rejuvenate yourself, sometimes to get inspiration, but there is never a clear conclusion or end goal right. to that inspiration, right? I think when I first started residencies, I I would bring a lot of things because I, I guess I didn't fully embrace video as a medium, but now I end up just collecting as much footage as I can and then sort of sorting it out after I've left. But I can't, like, sometimes I can't even imagine being a sculptor and doing these residencies because it can be sort of like crazy thinking about how to make something there with all the stuff or the paintings. And then it always felt disingenuous to me to like, be quote unquote inspired and then make a piece after you get back. Right. Cause it feels like it's like Robert Smithson's idea of a non-site. It's like you're taking something and putting it elsewhere. But a lot of times and like when you're inspired in that sort of way in these residencies, you're, it's not even like the thing that you're taking back, but it's the idea. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, residencies are strange. Yeah. But for this one specifically, I guess, I collaborated with Adam Kuby. He's a Portland, Oregon artist. Okay. Like prior or like while there you met while him? While there. Okay. So What'd we, you do? Um, we used like these uh, emergency blankets uh-huh. uh, and they were gold. So yeah. I was kind of re- talking about the Kinsukuroi process, which is gold filling for broken ceramics. Okay. It's like a really uh, wabi-sabi aesthetic technique, which is to not disguise history. Right. But emphasize it emphasize it highlight it yeah right so i was thinking about the glaciers and was just suggesting that we should fill up a glacier with emergency blankets to show some urgency Mm. but still have the visual aesthetics did you get to do that yeah Yeah. is it it exists as documentation i guess instagram uh yeah or facebook i guess Uh, yeah yeah Yeah, i need to put on my portfolio soon And then I was also collecting small samples of not just water, but different kind of plants, even though it's technically illegal and I was supposed to do it, but I... Because it's a... Uh, who, owns, who owns the Arctic Circle? 
Well, the um, the researchers at like Nielsen suggest that you shouldn't really move things, or mm. unless it's um like strictly plastic, yeah, you know, something that looks like it's from like the seventies or the eighties, yeah, yeah. But anything considered before the nineteen forties that are still human traces, uh-huh. like uh, you can't like touch. a leather boot or like houses yeah. that are built before the 40s you cannot touch touch it or throw it away huh. right so this was specifically spitzbergen so it's, uh, okay. it's norwegian okay it's like used to be owned by russia but the research facility is split between like japan korea china uh germany france so USA. sort of like a an agreement between all uh, between all those different right. countries right mm-hmm. and they're all just like testing climates and uh, mammal populations and right Right. All right. What do you What do you have moving forward? What do you want to do after you? I guess. What do you, What are your plans for your thesis? What are your plans for um, post grad school? Maybe I don't. Maybe you don't want to go there because it's too too uh, <laughs> nerve wracking to think about. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm still testing out a lot of things. Yeah. I have like a show coming up next month. I'm kind of stressing about it. Yeah. Um, don't really have a solid idea, but probably something relating to Glacier. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, just like some prototypes that I've been working on. Yeah. And um, for thesis, I'm not really sure, but I want to create more of an immersive experience that kind of acts as a two-in-one show by shutting off the lights halfway point through the exhibition. Like maybe it stays, the lights stay on for about like 20 minutes okay, and then turn off for about 10 minutes and turn back on. And then you get two experiences from like sculptures and phosphorescent materials. Right? Mm. I don't know. I'm not really sure. But those are just yeah, floaty ideas that yeah. I'm not really. I just need to. I need to test more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See different kind of effects. Yeah. Would you go back to Louisville? Maybe briefly. Briefly. Yeah, but I don't think that's. Are you done with Pittsburgh? Maybe I'll stay here a little bit longer too. Yeah. Do you want to teach? I don't know yet. You don't know? No. I think I had to process that post-graduating if oh, okay. I graduate, if I can graduate. Come on, you can graduate. Uh, I'm nervous. Yeah. You'll, be, you'll be fine. No. Pretty insecure, so it's hard. Yeah. I would say just, I mean, it's easier said than done, but if you're not going to believe in yourself, who will? Right. It's all relative, like, so you might as well. No? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Believe in yourself. I'll believe in other people that believe in me, and that'll make it easier to believe in myself. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. Okay. It makes sense. It's easier that way. Yeah. You know? Because when I'm alone, like the voices are really loud. And, yeah. You know, when you're in their 20s, you just think you know everything and you're so confident. And just like being here for a while and just absorbing everybody else's perception, you just you get humble and you're like oh my god i have no idea what i'm doing or yeah yeah i mean it could just be the stress but yeah definitely it just makes you aware that you know nothing yeah yeah it's good i mean i think it's like a good place to be i think as soon as you think you know everything i think you've at that point ceased to grow right both mentally creatively because it's silly to imagine that a human being can know the answer yeah and i feel like (laughs) I feel like I used to be able to like speak more clearly and I feel like my body is deteriorating and words don't really come out. My memory's fading. Oh, I'm a little bit worried. Yeah. Really? Yeah. But I think it's just I'm just processing a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. Not just art, but personal life, family across the sea. Do you go back and visit a lot? Yeah, it's been a while, I think. Is it more is it more of a time and cost thing or is it like you aren't interested in it's going a time back. thing it's a time thing yeah i haven't been back in three years three years actually four now okay. it's 2018 says yeah it's yeah. 2014 i forget well uh, what'd you do when you went back visited family in kobe and tokyo uh-huh. and my sister also got married okay so yeah and then just like went around and hung out with my elementary school friends okay <laughs> do they see you as american now or is it just sort of like whatever no, it's, whatever. it's I whatever i mean we speak japangrish really yeah it's kind of common yeah yeah and they understand enough english to be able to like 
be yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you have an accent in your Japanese or no? Or I don't have an accent, but I have, like, I don't know, some vocabulary. You know, like, words just sometimes fade away. And right, 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 right. You just have to listen to it once, and then you'll just, you know, it's just yeah. repetition. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's practice. All right. So, you know, if I were to live in Tokyo for a while, I probably will just like relearn all the words and mannerism and yeah, body yeah. language, right? Because I feel like in Japan, a lot of it is just like showing respect and right. being a submissive position. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And being aware. Right. Just, right. you know, something Americans are very bad at doing. Probably myself too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm trying. We all try. Yeah. Um, where can people find you online? You can go to uh, my website, shoheikatayama.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at alligator cookies. Where do you get alligator cookies? Uh, that's my favorite animal zoo cookie. <laughs> you know those animal zoo cookies? Oh. Um, There's like an alligator yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. used to save them for last. Really? Yes, yeah, so that was... Uh, Is that your... Do you think that's your spirit animal, an alligator? <laughs> no. <laughs> it was just... You know, Shohei Katayama was taken on Instagram, so I was just like, oh. And you don't want to do like Shohei underscore Katayama or? No. Yeah. I think that was even taken too. Oh, really? I don't know. Are those popular last and first names? Shohei, I think, is popular now Uh just because of the baseball player. Okay. Right. Right. Um, He's he's the guy who um, pitches and bats, right? Yeah. Like, total badass overall. Yeah, but like he's old enough where like it hasn't... Now people might be naming their kids Shohei, right? Right. But it became popular. I mean, there's a lot of Shohei's, but Shohei written with Glide for show is different. With Glide? Like right. the, character, the characters mean Glide? Right, right, right. What does your name mean? Uh, gliding Peace. Mm. That's nice. Right. But usually people write like Winning Peace. Winning Peace? Which I think piece? is like, mm. I don't know. I'm like, eh. Like it's too too showy, too gaudy. Right. Yeah. And my brother's Yohei, so that's what does that mean? Radiant peace. Nice. Right. I always think it's funny that yeah, we all like that our names have meanings. Yeah. Mine means intelligent clouds. My brother Intelligent clouds. <laughs> intelligent <laughs> right. cloud, knowledgeable clouds. Yeah. My brother's like lucky cloud and my sister's like um, hardworking cloud. Mm, so Juan is the cloud, right? Juan is cloud, yeah. yeah. That's an, okay. Yeah, yeah, I guess mom. that eventually became un in Japanese. Un, yeah. nice. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you, Shohei. Thank you, Zuon. Seeing color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Zuon Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com, or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pod. If you enjoyed this show, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give Seeing Color a five star review. This really helps others discover the show and provides greater visibility. For everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening, and goodbye for now.